When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ninety-four Colorado game. Before the game, I made up a story, told it just to the starting offensive lineman that Shannon Clavell, Colorado's starting and star defensive tackle, got off the charter flight carrying a pipe cutter to signify that he was. They were going to cut through the Nebraska pipeline. The nickname our offensive line had, and I told that to the offensive line. A lot of the guys got awfully fired up about it. Best part of it, though, I always thought was walking through the locker room. After the game, the press interviews were wrapping up, and I still heard two or three offensive linemen on the team talking about how with their defensive line carrying a pipe cutter off of the plane, that was something that really served to motivate him to go out and really just put this absolutely dominating performance on Colorado that day. But it was a completely made-up story. Welcome to the Forum, the show where we learn more about Husker Nation by asking its fans the same four questions. Tonight, we are joined by Rob Zaska, Dr. Rob, former Husker on the 1994 uh, National Title Huskers, member of the OG Pipeline, one half of the Doc Talk podcast alongside Travis Justice. Welcome to the Fan Forum, Rob. Thank you. This is good. This is good stuff. I'm excited. Yeah. I love, the, I love the opening with the pipe cutter story. That was... So. I was going through a bunch of different video of you, and that was one that, uh, yeah, that's from one of the BTN shows, and just a, a, a great, I love the the motivation behind that, right? I, you know what, I completely made that up on the spot, and I remember telling the guys on the team about that, thinking, you know, God, I wonder if they'll actually believe me when I say this, and they did. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, okay, well, th- this story is going to die really quickly as soon as the game's over. Then I hear him talking to the media about it. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll just keep my mouth shut about this. And then I remember a couple of years later, my wife and I'd come back from Lincoln and we were in a bookstore and I was flipping through a copy of uh, some Husker trivia book. And it had that story in there as a little bit of Husker trivia. And I'm like, holy crap, somebody put this in a book already. It's like, well, now I, now I definitely can't say anything about it. So I just kind of kept my mouth shut for 20 years. <laughs> That's a great story. I hope to get to a few more stories here. First, let's just go through our, our upcoming shows and our, our uh, promos. Uh, on Monday night, we have Ravi Mahapatra, uh, Lincoln East assistant football coach. Spartans, baby. There you go. Grew up next door neighbors with Dr. Tom. He'll be on Monday night on the, uh, the forum. Uh, hillvarsity.com slash subscribe use redcast at promo code and you'll get $10 off your uh, annual subscription uh, looking for a job switch redcasters go to fsc edge uh, you can find them at www.jobs at fsc.com uh, alumni hall two lincoln locations downtown 11th and p and south point pavilions behind barnes and noble i'm wearing the new 
uh, whatever Adidas Nebraska hat they sent. Pretty nice. And then last but not least, the Smack and Smooch custom shirts and specialty items. Uh, I've got my Husker shirt on here. And the new shirt that they just came out with, War Daddy Up. You can now purchase that too. Uh, we have the link on our uh, Twitter, and you can go to Smack and Smooch and get the link there. But uh, fan form. What is it? It's the same four questions we ask everyone. Why are you a Husker fan? What is your favorite Husker fan memory? Who are your all-time favorite Huskers? And how do you think the Huskers will do this year? Uh, Rob, you're the first ex-Husker that we had <laughs> on the fan forum, but it's totally appropriate. I mean, we're, we're all fans, whether we've played for it or not. And Got to keep in mind, I grew up in Lincoln. I mean, I grew up in Lincoln watching Nebraska play. I was the hometown. Ah, oh, there we go. Oh, Spartans there. That's why I was, I'm all pumped to hear what Ravi has to say. So Ravi and I have been kind of, I call it Twitter buddies here for quite a while, Mm -hmm. just because a lot in common and a little bit of some background similarities there. And, uh, but yeah, no, I grew up in Lincoln as a Husker fan. I mean, it's like, it's kind of hard not to. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, um, is it a a family thing? Most of the, most of the people we've been talking to so far, it's mom and dad or grand grandparents got us into it. Yeah. And I, you know, it's kind of, I mean, for me, it's kind of interesting because I wasn't born in Nebraska. I was born in East Lansing, Michigan. Oh, okay. Both of my parents, they're both my parents were originally from Iowa. Both had gone to school at Michigan state. So I actually kind of got brought up as this closet Spartan fan and hmm. worked with the whole Lincoln East thing as well too there. But, um, but anyway, yeah. So I grew up as this kind of watching big 10 football every morning, Michigan State Spartans, but when when I was about five years old, right before I started kindergarten, we moved to Lincoln. My dad was an associate director of housing at Michigan State, um, took a direct, took the director of housing mm-hmm. position at Nebraska, and he ended up working for the university for almost 40 years as a director, occasionally as a dean. Um, and, and so you, the, the, from a family connection standpoint, it was, it was kind of built in because my dad worked for the university. And so the whole time I was a kid growing up, elementary school, junior high, et cetera, you're going down, you're hanging out with your dad on campus, that kind of thing. I mean, you're, you kind of had sort of the all access pass to everything at the university at the time. So it, it was cool to have that and to be able to kind of see it from the perspective of somebody who had that kind of access Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, and I mean, growing up, I mean, probably starting, I guess, maybe late elementary school, my brothers and I sold hot dogs at Memorial stadium. That was the fall job on Saturdays. And so we did that for man, probably until I guess maybe I was a sophomore in high school, mm-hmm. sold the hot dogs at Memorial stadium. And the, and it was, a, that was like one of the coolest jobs ever. If you, if you're a Husker fan, selling concessions in the stadium and not in the, not in the concession stand. You got to have the box or whatever of what you got to lug it around the stadium. Cause then you actually get to see all parts of the stadium. You get to go anywhere. Again, it's kind of this all access pass to anywhere you want to go inside that stadium. You meet fans, you're hanging out with everybody and, and you're watching all these games. And this was kind of the, I call it, it's sort of the golden age of big eight football. Mm. It was that era. I mean, th- that was watching, coming and watching Bosworth and Keith Jackson on those Oklahoma teams. Um, the great Oklahoma State teams that Pat Jones coached, where you had Thurman Thomas, Barry Sanders, Dexter mm. Manley, all those guys from players from Oklahoma State. 
Um, you watched a lot of those real hand. I know I say really good. There's a few okay Colorado teams. I don't want to give those bastards too much credit here. <laughs> um, but, but it was, I mean, it was a blast. I mean, you saw all these really great games over the years and you had this front row seat because you're sitting there working at the stadium. I mean, that was like best job ever. Mm-hmm. Now the only downside to it is you had this massive back then it was this pressed sheet metal, case that you had 50 hot dogs in and it actually had a little sterno burner in the bottom of it to keep them warm now Mm -hmm. it sucked for like the first two games of the year because it was still like 88 degrees out and you're carrying around literally a sterno heated metal case of (laughs) hot dogs but the moment that weather turned it was like the greatest thing ever because it's just you had your own little personal warmer and you're getting to wander around and People are once that weather turned cold. People bought hot dogs like no one's yeah. business. So. Well, you, Plus, there's nothing else. There's hot dogs and runses, and that was it. So <laughs> you you met Boomer right before uh, we went on, and we had a, a question yesterday that we posted to Twitter, and it was, "What's the coldest game you've ever been to, Redcasters?" And you know, a ton of responses to it. But the the '93 o- Oklahoma game, Oklahoma. Where, where Trev, where Trev, that one was that one was a bitch. that was brutal. The which that wasn't even the coldest one I had ever played in because in '91 at Colorado was colder than that snowball game. That was the snowball game, and that was I got to go back and check. I swear to God, it was 28 below. Was the was the wind was like it was was like 19 below and 28 below wind chill, which it's one of those games where to have a wind chill and there was almost no wind at all. It was Mm. just that freaking cold out, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the, that, the Colorado game was the coldest game I've ever played in the Oklahoma game. That was the coldest home game. Um, nice, bright, sunny day though. I mean, it was just, it was so cold. It like yeah. froze all the moisture out of the air. So there's not even clouds in the sky. Yeah. You'd never have known if you're watching it on TV. Uh, yeah. yeah that was, right that was brutally cold that day oh. though, against Oklahoma in 93. Mm-hmm. Hey, Redcasters. I know the economy has been tough and are you looking for a fantastic opportunity to work for a rapidly growing company that also enjoys the benefits earned with having a competitive stable history of over 20 years? What is FSC Edge, a leading technology innovator serving governmental agencies, expert services, helping worldwide patent offices meet strict processing and publishing timelines while delivering exceptional quality. And they support some of the world's largest patent offices throughout the United States and Europe. You can work with fun people with great attitudes, learn about patents. You're not on the phone. You're not customer facing. You can dress just like me right now in your Husker tank top and your Go Big Redcast hat. You can work in a new environment with over $2 million in improvements job also comes with excellent benefits go check out available jobs today at www.jobsandfsc.com well on the redcast we're we're big in-state fans big in-state recruiting fans uh like you mentioned you're from lincoln east here and so i we've got the photo here and this is something i think that's kind of interesting too you're blocking for eric stokes on this uh there's talent there's talent in the state back then i, I think there's talent in the state now just gotta identify and go after it you had a really interesting tweet here, and it was the truthiest truth, and it was about college coaches. We need linemen. Kid is an absolute dude at 6'3 and a fourth, and the college coach says, yeah, but he's not 6'4. If he was 6'4, we'd offer. And then the NFL draft 2022 sees two centers drafted at 6'2 and tons of 6'3 offensive linemen drafted. Um, 
I can recall I coached youth football in Lincoln for a number of years. I had uh, Cole Penzik was one of the kids on my team. Yeah, and Dan, not the tallest guy. Not the tallest. He had the. I width. mean, uh, Dan's kind of tall, but Dan's Cole's not the five. tallest guy. Cole had the uh, the arm length, or you know, whatever the the you know the stretched out um, arm arm width of what Dan had, but he was like six three, and he would dominate. He would go into some of those when Callahan was here. They had some summer scrimmages and or you know the summer camps and he would do great but then it was kind of the same thing you're not six foot four and so we're not going to give it to you and i mean as a former lineman when you see that um i mean you just said that truth is truth i mean what do you see when do, do we make it too too particular about you know down to the inch and down to the um five pounds here or there or is it or does that matter no, I mean, it matters to a degree. I mean, you want guys that have a degree of length in terms of being able to get their arms out and, and get separation between the opponent, yourself and the opponent when, when you're in a, when you're a lineman. Um, the, the problem is, is that there's a limit to everything. And I, I think it's kind of one of these situations where at some point you kind of get into this you know, if tall's good, super tall's even better. I mean, it's kind of like if you're drinking vodka and you have enough vodka to get a little light buzz going, well, maybe that's a good thing. Mm. Well, I'll just keep drinking vodka then. Well, that's not <laughs> a good thing. It's the same thing. I mean, it's at some point, there's a little bit of a diminishing returns in terms of the amount of leverage that you can get. And if you've got an offensive lineman who's 6'9", and he's trying to go against a 6'3", 330-pound mm-hmm. defensive tackle – at the bottom, at the bottom, the bottom line is, is it, it's always low man wins, mm-hmm. and you got to be able to get low enough to generate leverage against an against an opponent. And, and if you're if you're six nine, that's that can be kind of hard to do. Now that's why when I look at Nebraska linemen now, one of the things that's probably hampered uh, Ben Hart a little bit is that I think he's got some great tools in the toolbox. I, I still feel like he kind of plays too high. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's it's guys have gotten leverage against him in the past. And that's something he's got to he's always gonna have to continue to work on. Uh one of the things that made Teddy Prohaska so intriguing and made him kind of go from this true freshman to a true freshman starter on the offensive line and actually was I thought was playing very well up until Mm -hmm. the time he injured his knee in the Michigan game is that for a guy his height I mean he's a pretty legit 6'10 yeah I mean he's and honestly I think they actually undershoot him a little bit he I think he's probably closer to 6'11 the guy is just an insanely massive human being He's incredibly athletic in his ability to get low, to have that ankle bend, knee bend, mm-hmm. hip bend, get down and generate leverage against a, a six foot three defensive lineman is incredibly impressive to me that well, he can had, do that. And that's what he was. Yeah. He, some guys can just do it. Some mm-hmm. guys can't. And he's able to do it. It's easier for a guy who's six two to six five to get low to generate that leverage than it is for a guy who's six eight to six ten to do it. Mm-hmm. So and that was how that was how Teddy got his way onto the field initially last year was at tight end. I remember him playing that against Oklahoma. They kind of got in a heavy set. And it was but I think that the, that was the first time I really noticed mm-hmm. he was coming down on down blocks against D against kind mm-hmm. of the big DNs, not not your edge mm-hmm. guys. You got this new position now. We called them rush ends. Now they're edges. 
Yeah. And that's like those, the, the smaller 6'2 to 6'4, 230 to 250 pound Miles Garrett, Khalil Mack kind of dudes. He was coming doing coming down on down blocks against the true Richard Seymour 6'5, 290 pound defensive ends and just blowing them off the ball. And he was getting low enough to be able to do that. And, I, and that was the first time I was like, shit, this guy can play some football now. And, and it was interesting too, because my, my nephew's buddies with Teddy, they played high school football together. Malcolm's out there. Yeah. And, and talking with my, my nephew had commented that he had talked to Teddy and Teddy a couple weeks before that Northwestern game was like, he was like, I, I think I might actually be playing this year. I don't think they're going to redshirt me. Mm-hmm. He said, I, I think I'm actually good enough to be able to get out there and start getting snaps and getting playing time here. And sure enough, we, like a week and a half after that, he's the starting left tackle. Yeah, it was so, too bad, obviously. I mean, I hate injuries anytime, but that, that was terrible to see. That's right. Alumni Hall, they just opened up a sweet new shop in downtown Lincoln. I believe it took over one of the other shops. What shop was that, Honky? It was Husker mm-hmm. headquarters. They also have one at Hus- 56 and um, Highway 2. So yeah. there's two locations in Lincoln now. And yeah, and they just they just opened up there. And next time I'm in Lincoln, I'm definitely looking forward to going there and checking out this the store itself. You know, we we've we've gone around the Haymarket, checked out a couple stores there, but apparently this one is top notch and and you know, number one with all of like the actual licensed you know, swag and everything. And I got my shirt there too, so a little Herbie Love going on and you know, rock and roll. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, again, that's alumni hall and you can also check their stuff out alumni hall.com backslash Nebraska. I think it is. And you can see all of the stuff to purchase from them through there. Cause they will send it to you in the mail each year. Approximately 5,000 children are diagnosed with brain cancer of those children. Nearly 30% will not survive. And many of those that do are left with debilitating side effects for life. We're asking you to help by tuning into the 10th annual Team Jack Foundation Radiothon presented by the Home Agency on September 29th. Become a champion for a cure for just $20 a month. Visit teamjackfoundation.org to learn more. Thank you for helping us fight for a cure. Now back to our show. Troy had a question earlier about, you know, is there a, you kind of talked about the law of diminishing returns or Nebraska's O-lineman too tall. Our bookends right now, Prohaska at 6'10 and Benhart at 6'9". And I, I'll throw one other question here and let you kind of answer it all. I know over the off season, off season, we'd hear people say, well, if Ben Hart doesn't play at right tackle, they'll move him, you know, maybe they can move him in the guard. And I'm like, I've never heard of a six, nine guard. I mean, for what it's, you know, I mean, seems- I've seen, I mean, I've seen guys do it. Um, God, I think Zach Starrett played some guard at Nebraska. Yeah. I mean, and then he had a, I mean, God, the guy went off into the NFL. It's kind of one of those, like, how come he didn't start at Nebraska? Now he's mm-hmm. in the NFL. Um, you know, on, for Troy's question, I mean, it just goes back to, hey, if you're one of those guys who can, is athletic enough to generate that leverage, can get low enough, can figure out a way to drop your center of gravity close enough to the ground and get low enough to generate leverage, yeah, you're going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Right now, we just... It, Prohaska was able to do that and do it consistently. Um, I, I mean, I've seen Ben Hart do it. It just, it's not, it's not something that I think is really natural for him. And it's something that Teddy just does it without thinking. I think okay. when Ben Hart does it, it's one of those, Hey, I got to get low on this play. And then he's thinking about it and does it. But if you got to think about it and it's not one of these things you just go do that, that can really hamper your game. 
Okay, so the narrative all offseason is obviously the Rayola effect coming in. We're we're switching this aggressive blocking. I mean, to to oversimplify it, moving what away from some zone and going more to gap or well, man blocking. Or how do, well, how would you define what they're doing and how is this more aggressive and more firing so, off the ball? So kind of what a lot of what we were taught, and it's kind of I mean, I had three different NFL coaches, and it's what all three of them taught too, is basically you kind of stay square to the defender and trying to move the guy, like literally imagine a guy pushing like a heavily loaded grocery cart uphill. You're, you're trying to literally just flat out push the guy upfield. Now the other method to do that is okay. Well, that's kind of hard to do. I mean, big athletic defensive linemen are hard to push backwards. They just Mm. are. You got to have great technique. You got to have great strength. You've got to be training strength-wise all offseason. And you got to be practicing that. And then there's some blocking schemes you've got to use to help facilitate that as well, too. And it's kind of, I mean, like I said, imagine a road grader pushing somebody just straight backwards. Mm-hmm. The less aggressive scheme, and you see this, some coaches teach it because you don't have to have that physical dominance but it's instead of just let's say the ball's you're an offensive lineman and the ball's going to your right, well, you just kind of turn and screen the defensive guy off hmm. to your left. I mean, you kind of turn and face him and just sort of screen him that way. Now, the problem with that blocking method is that you kind of got to, you do have to kind of be able to drop anchor and you yourself can't get pushed backwards. Now, if you're driving off the ball aggressively trying to push the defensive lineman backwards, odds are you're not going backwards. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're already trying to move forward. Less likelihood you're going back. If you're just kind of taking a step and sort of walling the guy off, mm-hmm. well, it's not a very aggressive maneuver. You're just trying to step between him and where the ball carrier is hopefully going to run there's a greater chance of you getting pushed backwards into the hole. Then. So is it Rayola's bringing that a, a different first step? Is that a, is that a, a way to start the conversation? Is that? I mean, it, it, it is, but I mean, he's going back to that more stay square to the defender mm. and he's trying to have guys directly push guys backwards and then go like Bob sledge. I, I remember reading something earlier this year where he referenced that these drills that they're going to run are going to be 10 yard drills. You're going to push guys 10 yards. And, and that's again, exactly. I, and I don't Remember know how, old, how different would that have been versus like what we were doing before. Were we not doing those kinds of drills? Not, I doubt. Not that I've seen. Okay. I, I mean, imagine you remember, remember blocking sleds in high school. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. How much how much those things sucked ass. <laughs> so I mean, the method that Raiola is teaching. Same thing we got taught. Same thing every NFL coach mm-hmm. I taught had was drive into the blocking sled, and you're going to try and push that damn blocking sled straight backwards. Mm-hmm the other guys would be just like, take the blocking sled. And instead of pushing straight backwards, we're just going to try and turn. I'm not, I'm getting fired up here. I'm knocking my <laughs> microphone it. over. Um, instead of knocking the sled backwards, we're just going to turn the sled sideways mm-hmm. and try to keep ourselves in between the sled and the hole. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a much less aggressive, much less physically dominant version of blocking. Now, everybody uses different step work for it. Everybody uses a little bit different technique. Um, one of the nice things about it is, is usually you try you make more use of double teams along the line of scrimmage 
to, mm-hmm. to facilitate getting those defensive linemen shoved backwards. And, and keep in mind, if you shove that defensive lineman backwards a yard and a half, the ball carrier is going to at least fall forward three and a half, four yards. Mm-hmm. You do that three times, you got a first down. You got a first down and, that's it, and that's if you don't really drive that guy that far off the ball. So. Mm-hmm. Rob, I want to show you a, a clip. We had Coach Osborne on back in May, and I think I think you'd appreciate this. He talked about the value of having two offensive line coaches that you had while you were here, and then how that affected like some of the blocking schemes that you guys did. So listen to this, and I want to get your thoughts. We had very good offensive line coaches. We had two offensive line coaches. Most schools only have one. And uh, Will Tenniper, Dan Young, Cletus Fisher before them did a great job. And we had a tremendous amount of line calls. And... Uh, so we try to maximize blocking angles. And a lot of that was once the play was called, you had plays within the plays with the linemen and, and, and their line calls. Plays within a play. You had multiple line coaches. Most teams only had one. How do you think that affected what you guys did? And you know, how did that help you guys in the 90s to, to have the pipeline that, that was created? Well, I mean, it was a little bit more of a specialization. I mean, D- Dan did the passing, did the passing schemes. Milt did all the run schemes, which, I mean, right there alone, Milt's covering two-thirds of it. But mm-hmm. uh, to be honest, I mean, both those guys understood both aspects very well. I, I don't think Dan liked the run schemes as much and he was also the one the special teams coach he was the kickers mm-hmm. coach so you had a dedicated kickers coach then too mm-hmm. and he was an outstanding coach for the kickers um but i mean you had this dedicated run run blocking coach you had this dedicated pass blocking coach and it, that specialization helped I, I mean it's kind of you got really good at both it wasn't one guy trying to spread his knowledge out you had one guy specializing on one one guy specializing on the other, and it made a big difference in terms of how you learned. And both those guys had different teaching methods, mm-hmm. but they both both did an outstanding job of it. So that made a big difference in that regard. Um, it, you know, I mean, both of those guys were amazing coaches in and of themselves. I, I, I mean, when you, because I, I, I think both those guys get a lot of credit for what they contributed to Nebraska football. It, it's hard. I mean, I still think there's two of the most underrated coaches in Nebraska football history. Just, I mean, they, they were amazing, amazing coaches and amazing people. Um, but God, they were good teachers, mm-hmm. just outstanding teachers. Former high school coaches. And exactly, you know, that and Osborne told us he goes, some of the best coaches I ever had for guys I brought up from high school. I mean, hell, that's a, that's a Devaney trait. Most of the, a lot of Devaney staff with guys that he brought up from high school level two. And no, it was, was well, it's, I don't want to say it's easy to teach pro athletes, but I mean, when you're trying to coach and you're trying to be successful and you've got a bunch of pro athletes mm-hmm. it maybe makes that job just a pinch easier. If you've got a bunch of college athletes, it's not as easy as pro athletes, but Man, that's, I mean, anybody who's playing sports in college, you're doing pretty good. Hmm. Trying to coach high school athletes is not an easy gig. It just, it, it just isn't. I mean, in, in this day and age, you've now got some of these high schools where my, my kids go to Westside in hmm. Omaha and 
man, you've always got a handful of D1 kids on the team. You look at Creighton Prep, you got some D1 kids on the team. You look at Bellevue West, it's D1 kids. Lincoln Southeast, you look at Gunner Gatula. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Lincoln East with Malachi. I mean, it's just, holy cow, there's, you get some of these teams that have some of these D1 kids, and it definitely makes that job easier. But your average high school team, at best, maybe has some NAI and some D2 and D3 kids on it. And otherwise, it's a bunch of high school kids, and that's it. And you're trying to coach these kids up and give them some some success, and it's not easy to do. And so I think if you're a good high school coach, that's a hell of an accomplishment because it's mm-hmm. not easy. Mm-hmm. Well, Rob, this is a little bit different kind of show than what we've done with the other fan forums. I know we have a little bit of a time crunch, too. So you're, are you about 8.30-ish? Is that when you were saying? Yeah, this? I'm going to give you to 8.33. 8.33. Awesome. <laughs> no, that's cool. Coach Osborne gave generous. Us, Coach Osborne gave us the 128, and I was like, we're going to be done at 128. We're not, we're not keeping him late, right? Um, I think maybe what we'll kind of do here is I think with the Redcasters that are watching right now and um, – we all want to know what's going to happen with the season here. How's the season going to go? And we talked a little bit about Rayola and what they've done with the staff or what they've done with the, uh, some of the, the O-line here. How confident are you in this year's offensive line that we can see the progression needed to be a successful team this year? Meaning at, at the very least, I've, we're making I've never games. Go- and- I've never gone into a season looking at this with a bigger question mark. Now, okay. here's the thing. I love Ryol. I, I think Donovan's, I think Donnie's a great guy. He's an outstanding coach, and I really think he's good. He's hamstrung a little bit in, in terms of having the guys he needs to have a lot of success. Now, he's got some tools in the toolbox, and it's just a matter of finding the right guys and getting them in the right position. The kicker is, is when you look at that offensive line, the best guy by far was Cam Jurgens, and now we're watching highlights of him in preseason games with Philly, and I think people are realizing, oh, shit, he was pretty freaking good. Yeah. And I think it, it's – I remember watching him two, three, three years ago. He's launching balls over Martinez's head. I'm not watching the snap. I'm watching what he's doing after the snap. And he's he's putting these nose tackles on their backsides. He he's blowing up linebackers. He he's sending safeties to the sideline. And all, all I'm thinking is like, damn, if this guy gets his snaps down, that's an NFL football player right there. Mm. And I was thinking that a few years ago. I mean, and if I've met I've met cam in person and if you see him in person it's just you you look at him and you're like uh that that's an nfl guy right there i mean it's just he just is we lost that and that was a big loss and that offensive line last year had some deficits in terms of what they were able to do and we lost the best player off that line Mm -hmm. that hurts second best player i think was teddy and, and I mean, he started what was it? Two games, three games, two games, two games, and played in a couple more. Yeah, I know he played in. I know he played in five. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really good. If he comes back from that knee injury and he can lock down that left side, I, I think that that makes a big difference. Um, the other thing that I. It's especially if Turner settles in at left guard pretty well, I think that left side and it's going to help if you can kind of lock down at least one side of that line. Um, losing Newelli for the season to the uh, to the drug test, 
that was brutal because I, I think that that guy's a freaking brawler. I honestly think he's one of he's a guy that if he was at somebody asked me this on Twitter about hey who on our team could make it at, at a Georgia at an Ohio State at a Clemson Teddy could it, if hell if 100% healthy Teddy could mm-hmm. um Newelli's the other guy I think he's incredibly underrated but he's an absolute freaking brawler and he's mm-hmm. he plays nasty he plays mean He's big, but he's not he's not that 1994, 6'5, 330 pound big, but he's a big dude and he knows how to use it. I mean, he knows how to get leverage, he knows how to get low. You don't see a lot of guys like that. And that's something that um losing those losing those guys it really hurts. Losing Cam, losing Newelli. See, we'll have to see what happens with Teddy. But I I mean it's I'd love to sit here and say it's like, oh, it's going to be great. And it's not a function of Raiola. That's the problem here is that it's not Donovan coming in and being, okay, well, Donovan's here and he's going to have this more aggressive system and that's going to be the game changer for us. Um, It's our, do we have the horses up front to get the job done? I mean, I think Trent Hickson's, he's going to be a very solid center. He's no Cam Jurgens, but he's he's not a second round draft pick and, future 10-year NFL starter, yeah. but he's a very good football player, and I think Trent's going to do fine. I got question marks. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the right side of that offensive line going forward here. Now, the other thing is, is what I am and, – and here's where the question mark comes in for me is what I am seeing and what I am hearing – Run blocking, they're doing great. They're getting movement on those guys up front. It's not easy to get movement on Ty Robinson. Mm-hmm. But I hear these, I hear up front in the run blocking game, they're doing really well. On the flip side, you got Mark Whipple, who it, he, he doesn't pass at 80% of the time. He passed it, what, 56% 50, of the time, whatever, like at, at Pitt. And he had a Heisman winning quarterback and an All American wide receiver. I, I would have been passing at 75% of the time. <laughs> But you got a guy who's who hangs his hat on the passing game. What are we going to see? Because I think the strength of this offensive line is going to be is going to be in the run blocking. I don't think they're going to be a great pass protection offensive line. This isn't going to be two thousand and one Miami where Dorsey can sit back there for an sure. hour looking for an open receiver. It's just with Bryant McKinney holding the fort down. It's just not going to happen. So we'll see what happens, but it's like I said, I don't know if I've ever gone into a season not knowing exactly what we're going to see. It's a big question mark in my mind. If nothing else, the best coaches are the ones that play to their strength. So if you said already the strength is the run game, you know, we don't have Ken Dorsey in the backfield either, right? We have a QB. We have QBs that have some mobility. We ran a little triple option in the practice that they they wanted to show. They wanted to show it. So they they definitely showed it last, last Wednesday. Um, so there's some mobility there, and maybe there's some things we can do to to play to the strengths of the offensive line. I'm not a recruitment guy. I don't really. It, I agree with you earlier about some of the you know if the guy's six three or six two or six four or whatever. Sometimes if you're just a good player, but for whatever reason, for the recruitments out there, it is an offensive line that has three guys on it that were top 100 recruits. You gotta can they play to that potential? I don't know. I mean, that's Rayola's got a big job ahead of him, and if he can get the best out of those guys, hope maybe we do have the horses. I, but we got to see it. Yeah. And that's the thing, 100% right there. So, mm-hmm. 
Well, it is eight thirty-four. Damn it! I, I'm, I, oh, you son of a! Kept you kept you <laughs> one minute too late. But but uh, I mean, this has been years in the making. We've been wanting to do something with you for a while, and so hopefully we can get a chance again here, Rob and Travis as well. We'd love to to do something with you guys again. You guys are, have a great show, Doc Talk Sports. Find them on Twitter and. Obviously, Redcasters. I'm sure you've listened to been listening to Doc. We've, Doc we've, well. I've listened to a lot. I love the fan forum idea. I mean, this is gold. So, like I said, I got, I got the one with Ravi locked in on my calendar already. So. Awesome! I can't wait to do that one on Monday night. And so he's going to be a fun one. He really will be. Well, Rob, do you have anything to to tell the the fan formers formers out there as you before you take off? You know, the biggest thing is, is I mean, keep your fingers crossed. I mean. I'm a fan. I grew up as a Husker fan, grew up in Lincoln as a kid, going to those games, talked about selling the selling the damn hot dogs all those years. I love Nebraska football, and I do have a lot of faith in Frost. I mean, I, mean, I think he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. I think he's got a great group of coaches right now. I hope they're given the time to make this work, and I, and I, think, they, I think the potential is so high right now. Well, that's great. It's great. Well, anyways, thank you so much, Rob. Uh, you know, formers, remember next time you could be the next one to join us on the fan forum. A Huda Media Production.